Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning, friends. Nice to see you this morning. How are you doing this morning? You well? Great. If you would appreciate following along, um, maybe English isn't your first language or you'd appreciate following on, there are always printed notes at the back. Uh, you can get them over there and also this translation into Cantonese, which you really appreciate. Brilliant stuff. If you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2. We're looking in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Let me tell you something that really winds me up. It really winds me up when people say one thing and do another. Does that wind anybody else up in the room? Yes. Well, uh, maybe like politicians, you talk about the benefits of environmental living and then they drive a big gas guzzler or you find out they're on the board of an oil company. Or maybe we've seen this with the outrage when there's been public officials who've reinforced the importance of guidance, maybe COVID guidance. Then they do something completely different in their personal life. We're not short of examples. Those things can really be frustrating. We react to inconsistencies, those contradictory moments when people say one thing, then do another. It's easy to call it out in other people, but it's much harder when we're actually the ones that are being hypocritical as well. Do your actions match your words. Do our actions match our words? That's James' central concern in this next bit of the Bible we're looking at. Join me as we look at it. James chapter 2 verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food and one of you says, oh, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, oh, you have faith, I've got deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Here in today's passage, James highlights the inconsistency between what we say and what we actually do. It reminds me of the famous words of Apostle Paul in Romans 7. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. This is James being lovingly direct. It's tough love. He's calling out hypocrisy. Tim Keller gives a good definition of what a hypocrite is like. It's an inconsistent person that says one thing but does another and knows that they're doing something wrong but puts up a front. That's what James is getting at here. If we're being really honest, do we have a genuine, authentic faith in Jesus? The theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard says it like this. We often speak of people not living up to their faith. Genuine beliefs are made obvious by what people actually do. We always live up to our beliefs or down to them as the case may be. Nothing else is really possible. It's the very nature of belief. So James is saying that our genuine beliefs are made obvious by what we actually do. In other words, your faith is already in action. We have to get good at being really honest with ourselves. Do I have a real faith? Am I really living the faith that I say I believe? Is my faith showing up in my actions? In today's passage, we're going to see what authentic faith is about. And I think there are three things. It's about love in action, it's more than words, and it's beyond reason. Let's start that off with the first one. Authentic faith is love in action. James is saying, hey, a genuine faith results in genuine works. 
He's already addressed some of the differences present in every church community, different backgrounds, different economic realities. And at the start of the chapter last week, he showed us how to honour one another and not to show favouritism. And now he says we must serve one another. So the first chunk, 1 to 13, is all about our attitude. And this chunk is about our actions. He's dealt with attitude. He's now dealing with actions. Suppose a brother or sister without clothes or daily food comes in and you say to them, go in peace, keep warm, keep well fed, but do nothing about their actual situation. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He's calling out counterfeit faith. Real faith shows up in real ways. Practical expressions of faith in Jesus are always visible and they can be costly. It's about active love for other people. That theme flows throughout the whole Bible and it pops up a lot in the New Testament. In 1 John 3 verse 14, we know we've passed from death to life if we love one another. If anyone's got material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God really be in them? Galatians, in Paul's writing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. John, this is the words of Jesus, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Genuine faith isn't indifferent, it's involved. We like to, I guess we like to think about ourselves as loving people. Of course we do. The question is, how does love show up in my life? And I'm not just talking about being loving to our friends here. It's a bit of a warning. Jesus talks really plainly about that. He says in Luke 6.32, do you think you deserve credit for merely loving those who love you? Even sinners do that. It's like, don't get credit for that. For love to be genuine, it has to extend beyond our natural friendship group, beyond the people in our own life stage and beyond those of our own culture. We need to learn this as a church family as we grow together. I'm really glad that that's what people are experiencing in this church as they come through the door. But we want to be a place where faith, hope and love is made visible and that's how we live and how we love one another. What could that look like on a Sunday? Well, maybe it's, it's talking to people who aren't like us. Inviting someone home for a meal or sharing hospitality. It's learning about somebody else's story or their culture. Praying for somebody you don't know so well. Turning, some, turning to someone and walking across the room when it's the turn and say hi moment. Not just chatting to people you're comfortable and familiar with. Maybe when it's time to sell your car or trade it in, rather than just trading it in, maybe you're prompted to be generous and actually pay it forward and give it to someone else. So you lose financially, but you gain in terms of being a generous person. Maybe it's helping somebody with a financial shortfall, whether that's a small thing or a big thing. Jesus is talking really practically here about brothers and sisters in Christ expressing genuine needs for food and clothing. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. In God's family, we've got this genuine reality that in a room our size, in a small group and in a community, there are some people who've got need and some people who've got surplus. And I love what Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, says. He puts it this way. Why does God give some of his children more than what they need while others less than what they need? So that he may use his children to help one another. When those with too much give to those with too little two problems are solved. And when they don't, two problems are perpetuated. Let me just be really practical. One of the things that we do here is by you choosing to give consistently, when you give generously and consistently to the work of the church, 
We then have resources. Our small group leaders are our eyes and ears for pastoral care. If they become aware of a situation, then we can respond. And we do that, you know, when we get referrals, we do that all the time. We have capacity to try and move towards need because we are consistently generous. So there's the planned, regular, consistent stuff. But there's also the Holy Spirit-led moments of generosity where you come across a story, you are aware of a situation, you just feel prompted yourself to move towards that person and maybe give anonymously or do something that's kind and compassionate. It's both and. Holy Spirit-led, you doing something privately and the consistent as a community together. And by God's grace, we can express what it is to be family. What we want to live is a life that's integrated and whole, where our beliefs match our practice. That should be the nature of real faith. Dallas Willard puts it this way. You know you believe something when your whole being is ready to act as if something is so. Faith is not this wild, desperate leap. It's a confidence grounded in reality. To have faith in God is to trust him, to have confidence in him and what he says. Faith wants to say, I want to put into practice every single thing you invite me to be and do, Jesus. That's what I want to be. If I asked you, and if I had a whiteboard and said, let's just write some things down here that that indicate what a strong faith looks like, you'd probably say things like, oh, a strong faith, someone who prays a lot, somebody who reads their Bible, someone who fasts, maybe somebody who memorized the Bible verses. Those are all good things that describe a strong faith, but equally important on that list should be, we're called to visit the sick. We're called to serve one another. We're called to show hospitality, to be honest, to control our temper, to be consistently kind and helpful, to watch someone's children, to join a Sunday team, to grab a bag, fill a bag and give a bag, to serve in church. James says in James 2.18, you have faith, I have deeds. Some people think that there are different categories of Christians. You might hear someone say, oh, I'm I'm the praying type. My spirituality is contemplative and prophetic. Now, you might be one of those lovely, hands-on, practical Christians who actually gets involved in people's lives, but that's not really for me. I just pray and I contemplate God's goodness. Honestly, the Bible doesn't support that kind of contrast. And James is calling it out. Authentic faith has to be more than words. That's the second thing we see. Verse 19, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James goes back to something that Jewish readers would have known. This conviction in Judaism that the confession that God is one. It's from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's making an echo back to that. The Jewish believers would recognise it straight away. It's this declaration found in Deuteronomy that was recited in the morning and the evening as part of daily prayer. The issue here is that to just acknowledge who God is, is not enough. To simply say God is one doesn't get you very far. It doesn't make a difference if it doesn't actually make a difference in your life. Affirmation of truth is central to the Christian faith. It's central to our worship, but it's not enough. It means nothing to simply say the right things, but not do them. This, according to James, is to have a faith on the level of demons. Demonic faith is believing the script of the Bible, but doing nothing about it. The demons believe there is one God. The difference is they don't bow down in surrender to him. So belief has to translate into action if it's going to make any difference. James is really driving the point home. His faith is more than words. To believe the right stuff, to say the right stuff, to sing the right stuff is not enough. That's exactly what Jesus said in one of his parables, isn't it? 
In Matthew 7, he says, these words I speak to you, they're not incidental additions to your life, like homeowner improvements on your standard of living. They're foundational words, friends, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, or you don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his home on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in, the waves came, it collapsed like a house of cards. There's a book by the name of You Are What You Love by a chap called James Smith, and um, he captures it really well. He says this, Jesus command to follow him is a command to align ourselves and our loves and our longings with his, to want what God wants and to hunger and thirst after God, to crave a world where he is all in all. This is a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. You are what you love because you live towards what you really want. Discipleship is more a matter of reformation than acquiring information. Martin Luther wrote, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is your God. I love what Dallas Willard, the author, says when thinking about this area of discipleship. He said, you know, if I'm Jesus' disciple, it means I am with him to learn from him how to be like him. Being a disciple in any area is not about being perfect. Rather, it's someone who's decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. A disciple of Jesus is not necessarily one who's devoted to doing religious things. Instead, I'm learning from Jesus how to live my whole life, my real life, and it covers everything, religious or not. Sometimes when we just read a passage of the Bible that's familiar in a different translation, it pops out to us in a new way. I want to just read the bit in James in the message. James 2.18, we've looked at it. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds great. You take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, they fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you'd done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? A few questions. Is James saying we're not saved by Faith? Is he saying we're saved by works? Some have tried to use this bit of the Bible to say the Bible contradicts itself. How do we square this with what Paul says in other parts of the Bible that salvation is through faith alone? Ephesians, you've been saved through faith in Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Let's just remember a couple of things as we look at that is that James would have been familiar with the teaching of Paul. The two men met, they knew each other. James is probably offering a bit of correction. Not to Paul himself, but to followers of Paul who've taken that faith alone thing and distorted it or abused it. It's obvious that people were taking Paul's words and changing the meaning. James' concern and why he's writing is that faith must be expressed in love. And that's exactly Paul's concern when he writes. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, I can have faith 
that moves mountains. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Paul goes on to describe that love in detailed terms. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love shows up in practical ways. So genuine faith is love in action. It's more than words and it's beyond reason. We come to the last bit of our passage. It's about Abraham and Rahab. Just going to read it in verse 21. So you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James is giving two stories that would have been known to his listeners. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without... The spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Abraham and Rahab, you couldn't pick two more different people. And James uses these two different examples as an expression of authentic faith. Abraham was a Jewish man. Rahab was a Canaanite woman. He was rich. She was poor. He was a patriarch. She was a prostitute. Abraham left his home and set off with God, even though he didn't know where he was going. And against hope, he believed God's promise that have father and many nations, even though his body was as good as dead. And then he was willing to sacrifice his only son on an altar, confident that God would be faithful to his promise, even when that act of obedience just didn't make sense. Rahab was living in Jericho at the time Joshua sent spies into the land. She defied the king of her city and hid the spies, helping them escape. She and her household were saved when the Israelites took Jericho. She went on to marry an Israelite, and became the great-grandmother of King David. So part of the family tree of Jesus himself. So what do these two people have in common? Abraham believed that God would do what he promised. And he was prepared to put that faith in practice, in life. Rahab had confidence that God was bringing his kingdom and she wanted in. She put her trust in God, even if it put her at odds with her own community. Obedience and faith was risky for her. But these Stories illustrate the same point. True faith is shown in action. It comes in all shapes and sizes, friends, and it's for every kind of person. You can't always get your head around it. It doesn't always make sense. Sometimes you feel like God will stretch you to the edge of your comfort zone, and to live a life of faith is a bit uncomfortable. And then a bit some, and a bit more after that, God actually calls us to do things beyond reason. Do you know, as we get to glimpse the extravagant love, for God, love, of, love of God for us, it should flow out from us in tangible, sometimes even unreasonable ways. Sometimes a life of faith doesn't always make sense. God might ask you to make a big sacrifice, something that feels precious or huge to you. He might ask you to forgive the person who's really hurt you and they don't seem at all apologetic or sorry. He might ask you to be patient with someone who really winds you up. He might call you to go further. A couple of examples I've heard that have really challenged me. I heard about a friend who was a, a friend of a friend who was a pastor, and he felt prompted for a season to give away 100% of his salary to live a life of faith and trust until something shifted in the church that he was leading. I heard about another friend who saved for a house deposit, and um, he and his fiancée got their deposit sorted, and they felt prompted when the DCI offering happened. Boom. <laughs> Put the whole house deposit in the offering. Hang on a minute. 
We've just prepared for our future and you've called us to do something different. God provided by a different means about six months later. Maybe God is saying you're a private person, you like your own privacy, but he's saying I want you to use that spare room and have somebody stay with you rent free while they just get things sorted in their life. Christian faith always leads to practical action, whether it's a big thing or a small thing. It's expressed in how we do life. We can't divide the word into spiritual and practical. The spiritual is the practical. That's what James is saying. I love what John Ortberg says. He says, Jesus is not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your life. The whole thing. You see, Abraham's faith and his actions are working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. So James is saying, listen, our faith must speak to all of life. How you show up at work on a Monday is an outworking of your faith. How you deal with that awkward, cranky customer. How you respond to a stressed colleague or a demanding boss. How you get out of bed in the morning. What you like when you get behind the wheel of your car. Ooh, conviction fell in the room. <laughs> in rush hour traffic. <laughs> Do you know, th- these are all places where our faith gets expressed. How, how are we showing up? Our commitment to Jesus is actually worked out in daily activities. We can't say, I believe in Jesus, I go to church, but my personal faith doesn't impact those things like work and driving and attitude. Jesus is challenging us through the words of James to the person who says, I keep my faith to myself. I don't wear my beliefs on my sleeve. He's saying, no, 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 we must. We must express our faith in an effective and genuine way. Genuine faith must display itself. You've heard us talk about Dreaming the Impossible, the event that happened just recently. And um, love in action is to serve one another. One of the things that I loved was being part of the team. And at DTI, because I know a lot of people, I saw CEOs of multi-million pound companies, people who manage hundreds of staff, high-pressure jobs, just wearing high-vis jackets with a litter pickers, just clearing up the junk of the car park. You know, high flyers who are given their time when they're some of the busiest people I know, honestly, just saying, I'm going to show up and serve and do the thing that I can do to make a difference. I also know many folks in our own church who are high earners and they could just say, do you know what, I'll just work a couple more hours and give the money that I earn and just lob it in the offering and that can just help someone else do the thing. Well, they just don't just do that. They, They would choose to say, do you know what, I'm going to give an hour of my actual precious time to serve other people. I'll choose to give generously, but I'll also choose to serve generously. That's the kind of people we're called to be. This kind of sacrificial faith in action is what we're actually called to be and do. True faith always shows up in action. There's no other way to see it. Faith is shown by our deeds. And I love the illustration that we hear in the life of Jesus. Jesus seeing the friends who broke the roof and they let this guy into his presence. Jesus seeing their faith commended them and then the guy was healed. Faith can be seen in the way that we live and the way that we act. Just coming into land, it says in James 2.26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Just as the physical body, this body of mine, needs a spirit, faith needs works to make it alive. When you separate the body and the spirit, you've got death. Faith and works cannot be separated. When faith and works are present in your life, then your faith is coming alive. Some of us in the room have got a very sensitive conscience and something like this is spoken about and you feel like, you feel like, oh my gosh, you're just like kind of a little bit crushed. Don't be crushed. Just let the Lord speak to you. Some of you are maybe a bit more in self-denial. You just think the benchmark of authentic faith is your life. Maybe just allow the Holy Spirit to say, hey, listen, is there a space I'm trying to challenge you? 
We actually need to come into the presence of God ourselves. And James is a straight talker. He's not mincing his words. He's really leaning in with challenging truth. In 2 Corinthians, there's an interesting verse we don't come across much. And it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And in Psalm 19, David puts it well. He says, you know, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. It's really easy to spot the contradictions, the hypocrisy in someone else's life. It's a little harder to spot it in our own hearts. Just as we land, I want to mention just really three or four practical things. We don't have membership in our church. We don't have a simple piece of paper that you sign and say, oh, I like the sound of that. I'll join that church and put it in the offering basket and just move on. We don't do that because we feel that's not how real, authentic faith is lived at. Membership is more practical and functional. It actually shows up in our lives. And so we invite people that are part of our church to do a few things. Number one, get involved in a small group. Be in a place where you can consistently love and be around other people. Because it's not about you, it's about being present and interested in others. Number two, just get on a team. If you're not on a Sunday team, serve other people. Decide to come and not be a consumer, but a contributor. I'm just being really blunt with you. That's, if James was here, we'd say the same kind of stuff. I'm coming to contribute and not just consume. I want to be part of the team that makes this thing happen. Give, whether it's a small amount or a large amount, but just be consistent. We can do the things that we do, spotting and supporting needs as they emerge, because many people give consistently. And just have some way of expressing compassion to other people. Whether that's just embracing somebody from a different cultural background and befriending them, or bringing a food bag and filling it, but just let there be some outflow of compassion in your heart and life. That will be a good benchmark to start from. And then if that's in place, then say, Lord, what else are you saying to me? I'd love us just to stand together. We're going to pray and um, thank God for his word. Just as we finish, two things I want to mention. I'm just deeply aware that we have these moments at church when we find ourselves in a thin space, would be how some people describe it, where the, the space between heaven and earth feels really thin. It's like a, a holy moment where we're conscious in our very beings, in our very bodies, that God is around, he's close. And that's what's happening today. It's one of those days. And sometimes in those moments, there's just a chance to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm just all in with you. I want to surrender. And maybe you've drifted. Maybe that narrow path is the one that you strayed from. Maybe you're in the room and you've not ever said yes to Jesus. There's a chance for all of us to say, Jesus, I just want to be all in with you. I want to give you my yes in a, in a deep way, in an authentic way in my heart, because I want to follow you. And whatever your story, whatever's gone on, I love the Abraham Rahab thing. Listen, they had very different starting places. And you could have dismissed someone's faith journey by their backstory, but God doesn't. So maybe that's the response in your heart today to say, Jesus, help me. I just want to be all in. And maybe for others, there's a moment to listen to God and say, God, how is love going to show up in my life? Is there a way? Is there something you're speaking to me about that would be an expression of what it means to have faith in action? I'm not going to give a list because you can listen to God for yourself. Loving God, we thank you for your word that is written in love for us to do life well. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to our hearts and speak to our lives. Help us be all in with Jesus.
Jesus be our teacher, be our guide. That we would learn to live like you lived. That we would be a community of faith, hope and love where those things are visible in our interactions, in how we serve and how we show up and how we love one another. Come Holy Spirit and apply your words to our hearts. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.